Jen, it's Monday night, and I know there's something made you do a spit take. What'd you disagree with this week? Flipping Eagles, like, luck themselves, not luck themselves, but, you know, they struck gold again, and it's really super annoying. First, they get A.J. Brown in the beginning of the draft, and then they draft a ridiculous defensive stud tandem from Georgia, Jordan Davis, and N'Kobe Dean, who N'Kobe Dean, you know, he was a he was a green room guy. Yeah. Fell to the fell to the third round, and they just kind of oh, we'll just grab him, and they <laughs> yeah, they just you know, and, I, and listen, I don't have anything personally against the Eagles, I really don't, but it's just frustrating to see them kind of you know stumble into this ridiculous draft and get better. <laughs> so that's my uh, that's that's what got me this week. I'm with you. I'm with you. I had N'Kobe Dean mocked to the Eagles in the first round. That's what I was expecting. I was absolutely shocked. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of draft today. Thank you, Jen. Let's get into it. Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Niles. With me are my excellent co-hosts, Jen Akins and Chris Allen. Chris, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, I really appreciated all of the, I don't know, the great content that even just, uh, I mean, 4-4 was putting out over draft weekend because after Thursday, I'll be honest, I started tuning out. I wanted to at least enjoy the weekend <laughs> before we really get into best ball season now that we have that going on with Underdog announcing BBM3. So I wanted to enjoy the weekend before the uh, the chaos hit, but I know that I could always find all the news that I wanted right here at 4-4. So it was pretty cool being able to check that all out as the news was unfolding. But otherwise, weekend was great. Glad we finally have a ton of stuff to talk about regarding the draft. So I'm happy to hop into it, both of y'all. Uh, but Jen, how are you doing? I'm well. You guys know I'm not a huge draft fan. So like you, I am thrilled to finally uh, be able to put rookie people with their teams so we can actually talk about tangible actionable things as opposed to hypothetical things so i am thrilled with that brandon how are you doing i'm doing good i, I took a vacation and uh i just watched the draft instead of like like dramatically and frantically writing and podcasting <laughs> and doing tons of things for three days so uh i'm i'm in that mode have you ever gotten back from vacation and you feel more tired somehow. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that works. From the vacation. Absolutely. Yes, that's what you need. Yeah. It but it was nice. It was really, really nice. Uh, one thing I definitely did was check out underdog football. If anybody uh, wants to go into underdog and start doing those best ball drafts, uh, we have a promo right now. Go to uh, underdog and deposit $10 in a new account and you'll get a deposit bonus match and a four for four pro subscription. Just enter four for four for F O R four in the promo code box. Uh, we are going to talk draft today. We're going to try not to make this a seven-hour episode, but we're going to talk about a lot of the key players, where they landed, how it impacts your redraft, your dynasty leagues, all that stuff. Uh, but before we get into that, Chris, I wanted to know what stat of the week you brought for us today since we just had the draft. So 
So with the draft being over, one of the things that even one of our own, actually, Mike Woolert in our Slack was talking about the fact that they had so many Georgia players being drafted. I mean, of course, we saw, I mean, their defense being one of like the best defensive units in college football that we've seen in some time. They win the national championship. So, of course, it would make sense that NFL teams would want as many pieces of that great team as possible. And so I went and took a look and actually Georgia, they had 15 players this year drafted to the NFL. That is the most out of any team at as far back as I went as far back as 2000. And that's the most of any team that won the championship the year prior getting drafted to the NFL. Uh, the closest uh, was 14 players from LSU's national championship team from 2019, the draft that gave us Joe Burrow. I mean, my guy, Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards, Lair, Justin Jefferson, so on and so forth. Uh, but this year, uh, we've got we had what Devontae White, Quay Walker, Lewis Seen, Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker. I mean, James Cook. I mean, you name it. We've got I mean, so many Georgia players like being drafted like into the NFL this season, which is really cool to see. I mean, especially like just thinking forward about how good that offense was, like how good that defense really was. And seeing all of those like great players being drafted in the NFL, I thought it was great to actually see that kind of translate to how teams were valuing the collegiate athletes that we were watching uh, throughout most of the most of the college football season. So seeing them set that record. Now, I know some folks might put an asterisk on that because of the COVID years and whatnot. And I think even when we were talking to Shane Hallam last week, saying this were the most prospects that he studied ever. So there might be some adjustments there, but hey, I'll just take the raw numbers and say Georgia had the most players drafted. So go Bulldogs. Go dogs. You know, I will also add, because you know I have to, right? Um, there's another stat, and I can't remember exactly. I, it might be – Georgia had um, a tight end drafted, I believe. God, it's either four or five years in a row. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it was actually a stat that was not normal, you know, like to have a tight end from the same college get drafted in every single draft in a row. I think mm -hmm. it was four, four or five years, which was kind of impressive, which Georgia's not really known like as a tight end, you know, tight end you by any stretch. But um, that was something that was, you know, kind of interesting to me. Um, love love the stat, obviously, as a UJ alum. Uh, don't love for what the prospect of, of next year's college football season is going to look like with all these guys out the door. Um, but don't worry, Kirby Smart's got plenty in the, in the back burner there waiting to, waiting to move up. Don't you have a tight end right now that's like supposed to be the next coming of Kyle Pitts next year? Yeah, the, so they say. And there's a recruit that just signed this year that will be behind this guy too. So oh, maybe, maybe it's becoming somewhat of a tight end U. <laughs> uh, but, you know, for now, or at least in the last decade or so, it's it's been an RBU. Um, and they, you know, had uh, two, two, two running backs drafted this year uh, in okay. James Cook and Zamir White, which I'm sure we'll get into those guys as we move on. It's exciting. It's exciting to see uh, that happen. It always makes for a difficult uh, evaluation pre-draft, try to assess it because, uh, you know, with all due respect to Georgia and to all these players, and, and I, I wish them luck, uh, typically when we see this, some of these guys are legit NFL players and some of them benefited from playing next to legit NFL players. So we're going to see over the next few years which ones uh, are which in this situation. But let's get into this draft, our main segment. Let's do let's start with tight end since we did tight end. I was going to start quarterback, but we can breeze through tight end uh, since there's really not much redraft value in the tight end position. Shane mentioned last week, but there's no Kyle Pitts this year. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Jen. There's two guys who did get drafted with day two picks. Uh, 
you can tell me if you disagree that there's no redraft value, but I'm curious what you think of how what it means for the incumbents. And uh, these two guys are great Dulcich for the Denver Broncos uh, and Jelani Woods for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, maybe raining on the parade of Albert O and Mo Ali Cox. What say you, Jen? Well, this is the thing. Dulcich, you know, he was a legit downfield weapon in college. You know, he's not your typical kind of inline tight end. So I think Alberto may have a little something to worry about there. I mean, Alberto is also not the sturdiest of guys. So I think that I think that Dulcich could have some value. Definitely in best ball. Uh, redraft, I don't know if I would take him, you know, but I would I would keep him on kind of the short list of, of someone that you may keep an eye on for for waivers. We also kind of don't know what's going to happen with that offense. You have Russell Wilson now. You have a different court or a different coach, a different system. So, not really sure. You know, Wilson is not exactly known for a big tight end guy as far as in, in the past in Seattle. I mean, he you know he's had some some fantasy relevant guys over the years, but I guess Olson. So yeah. But anyway, um, I think that you know he's a guy to keep an eye on. I think Alberto uh, is probably. Didn't, going to slip a little bit i'm not sure where his adp has been but i think people were pretty high on him once noah fant left town so um yeah and then the other guy who, who did you say the tight end in um jelani woods right? went yes, to the yes, yes. Yeah. this is the thing the colts are you know it, it's always a multi-tight end situation so now it's like okay finally maybe we have mo alley cox out goes jack doyle and then now we bring in this new guy so i think it's going to be the same merc that's always there at tight end and I would probably stay away from it. Merck. Jen calls Merck. I like that. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, <laughs> Chris, I want to talk to you from a dynasty perspective. You know, the the consensus top-ranked tight end in this class, Trey McBride, uh, mm-hmm. went to the Cardinals. Not an ideal landing spot since Zach Ertz is uh, still there. I think they just re-signed Zach Ertz. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how are you approaching it from a dynasty perspective, knowing tight ends typically uh, take a little while to – to get going and knowing that the top guy went to a less than ideal landing spot. How are you approaching it in your dynasty drafts, the tight end position? Uh, Even whichever value, whatever value folks had assigned to any of these tight ends pre-draft, kick it back a decent bit. I mean, like we were just mentioning with Trey McBride going to the Cardinals and you're spot on with the fact that Zach Ertz, I think his dead cap for the next two years is 10, 10 plus million. So if there's really no incentive for the Cardinals to get rid of him, I mean, of course, you can try and squint and see a possibility of him getting on the field now with the DeAndre Hopkins suspension, but even that is somewhat far-fetched. So I would most likely look at if we're trying to see more production or even more opportunity for McBride, it does have to be at the expense of Zach Ertz. So if that's not going to happen for the next couple of years, and if anything, I'd kick him even farther down my ranks at this point because it's going to be harder for him to see the field harder for him to get involved in the offense. And until we really see that happen, we're not going to be able to recoup any of that value that we put on him. So third round, probably rookie value at best at this point. I mean, unless something were to happen between now and the start of the season, injury, you know, whatever the case, another suspension, whatever the case may be. But for right now, I can't really assign too much, I guess, useful value to these uh, to these tight ends just because of their landing spots. Yeah, it, it makes sense to me. And uh, you mentioned uh some of the the change of the DeAndre Hopkins suspension obviously also uh Hollywood Brown goes to Arizona uh Jen talked about AJ Brown going to Philly at the top of the show we will dissect those moves in depth as the offseason continues and as things go forward but uh we'll stick to draft right now let's talk quarterback uh tied not to gloss over tight end but as we've all said there's not really a whole lot to gleam from the tight end position quarterback 
not a whole lot to go off of there either. We had a bunch of quarterbacks go to uh, situations where we'll call them heir apparents. Uh, Kenny Pickett, maybe in the first, he was the only first round quarterback, only only quarterback in the first two rounds. Kenny Pickett goes to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Jen, any redraft at all value for these guys in one quarterback or two quarterback leagues even? Well, I think Pickett, I think you could probably make an argument for Pickett in a two QB league. I think he has, a, a you know, he has the best chance to win that job, uh, to go in there and win that job. Uh, I think that, you know, I think he's, he's a best ball stab. I would absolutely take him at some point. Uh, but I think for one QB, I don't know about that. Uh, and then I think Ritter is also someone that we could look at. He He's the other guy that's, you know, was considered the most pro ready and he does have a chance to win that job uh, there as well. So, you know, I think that you're looking at if he does win that job, right? That's a big if, you know, in Atlanta, yeah. you're looking at a pass heavy situation. Uh, they just let Mike Davis go. You know, I think he also has the rushing upside. So I think that he's someone that, you know, you could at least take a stab at maybe in a two QB, two QB league and in best ball. I think in one QB, there's just way too many quarterbacks that are in better situations, more, you know, veterans that, that are just going to score more points. So I would stay away from both and just as your standard redraft. Makes sense. Makes sense. And Chris, uh, how are you approaching from a dynasty perspective? Uh, these era parents, you know, we've got uh, Kenny Pickett, like we mentioned, maybe uh, coming this year, Desmond Ritter behind Marcus Mariota, uh, Malik Willis behind Ryan Tannehill, who the Tennessee Titans have 27 million reasons to cut next year. I'm just saying, uh, and Matt Coral uh, for Carolina behind Sam Darnold and uh, even Sam Howell, the fifth rounder uh, comes in behind Carson Wentz. How are you approaching these era parents and dynasty uh, who do you like the most? Anyone that you're avoiding completely? Uh, is all of them an option in this case? <laughs> uh, I'll have to give credit where it's due. Uh, Ray Garvin on Twitter at RayGQ, he put out the tweet. I believe it was either late Saturday or Sunday. He said that you. I hope that you all drafted Mac Jones last year because that was essentially, I mean, your your final shot at getting a good quarterback for the next year or so because we all knew going into this draft that each of these quarterbacks, the top four or five, however you had them ranked, they had their warts to them, whether with Pickett, it was the small hands, or with Willis, his adjusted sack rate being so high despite the upside. Ritter, I mean, playing in big moments, but anytime he tried to essentially punch up and like play against a greater target, uh, or great, not greater target competition, but greater competition defensively, he would kind of, you know, he would falter. So each of them had their warts, and what the bull case for each of them was that we were hearing that at least two, three, maybe even four of them had first round grades. I mean, Malik Willis could possibly be the 102 going at eighth, ninth, tenth overall. Uh, I mean, there were so many possibilities for at least two to three of them getting first round draft capital, which would kind of hold that value for them from a redraft perspective, because at least with a first round grade or first round draft capital, we could see them getting onto the field at some point the rookie season. And we can understand that if the teams are valued so high, then they would be the ones to kind of get onto the field as quickly as possible because they want to evaluate those passers. That never happened, except for Kenny Pickett. I mean, Willis falling to the third round. I mean, all the rest of these guys having day two, day three or later, I mean, uh, you know, draft capital. I mean, it just kind of gives you this idea of if the NFL isn't valuing them, why should we at this point? So other than swinging for the upside, like what Jen was saying about a, uh, you know, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis. I mean, the guys that we know have that mobility to their game. I mean, at this point, it's just it's easier for me to just kind of wash my hands of the situation from a dynasty perspective and look at the other core positions. I mean, the, the wide receivers, which we'll talk about running backs, 
Uh, I mean, those are the guys that I'd be more interested in this class than anything else, just because it'll be easier for these teams to maybe do some evaluation periods for them. I mean, shoot, with Malik Willis going to Tennessee, there's entirely a possibility where they kind of want to see where things are at if they want to move on from Ryan Tannehill after this year. It's possible. I know he has like a fairly significant draft or a dead cap hit around 18 million, if I'm remembering correctly, for next season. If they if they uh, cut him post June, then it's nine million dead, 27 million off the cap. There we go. So according to over the cap. Okay. So if that's the case, if they want to move on, okay, fine. But that's where again. But even in 23, they could wind up saying that hey, they want to draft another quarterback. So there's no surefire or no, there's no uh, uh, certainty in these quarterbacks actually retaining the positions that they've got, or they've been drafted to. So it's just much easier for me to look ahead to 23 and use my 22 picks on running backs and wide receivers. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, I keep drafting Desmond Ritter in the middle of the second round in rookie super flex leagues, but uh, big boomer bust there. I, I, I feel like he's going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback or he's never going to play a snap. I feel like there's nothing in between. <laughs> I kind of have to, I, I'm a UC alum, so I, I have to root for my guy, but nice. I, I get it. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Good draft for the Cincinnati guys. We'll get yeah. to Alex Pierce here later on too. Uh, let's, let's hit the running backs. That's the, the glamor position in, in fantasy, or at least historically has been, uh, you know, kind of a two name class. There's some interesting players after them, but, uh, I think most people thought that Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker were the, uh, the, the, the top cream of the crop. They were the first two running backs drafted. Uh, Brees Hall goes in the second round to the Jets. The Jets moved up to sign him or to draft him. Uh, Jen, Michael Carter's in New York. Um, Brees Hall's a heck of a back. Uh, reminds me of a, a little Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack situation. I don't know what to think here. How are you approaching the Jets' backfield and redraft? I call Merck. <laughs> no, I, you know, <laughs> I like Michael Carter, but I, he, you know, I don't know that he's he was ever going to really be the guy, right, the three-down back. So I think that's why they drafted Hall. I think what's interesting to me is looking at their ADP, they're actually right next to each other. So right now in underdog, Hall is RB22, Carter is RB23. Um, I have a feeling that, yeah, I mean, that's pre-draft. So um, I have a feeling that Hall's probably going to rise and Carter's probably going to fall. Uh, I think that, you know – it seems like they're going to draft Hall to be, you know, the primary guy, and then Carter's going to come in and spell him. So I think depending on your format, I think both have fantasy value. Uh, I think that, you know, it, it just kind of depends on how much you want to pay and where their ADPs end up being. Uh, it's unfortunate that Hall ended up there. I don't really love the landing spot. I mean, I don't really love anybody going to the Jets, to be honest, but uh, I think that, you know, both those guys do have, value in, in pretty much every format because I think for at least what we've seen from Wilson, they may have to run the ball more than they you know, are, are not. <laughs> uh, shots fired at Zach Wilson here. <laughs> Uh, Chris dynasty impact Brees Hall still the 1.01. That's where he was being drafted prior. Uh, still the 1.01. Any changes uh, based on landing spot? He doesn't have to be at, at this point. You could probably make the case for three to four different players being at the 101, Brees Hall being one of them. I've seen folks talk about Traylon Burks with his landing spot uh, with the Titans at the 101. Uh, essentially, if it's not a quarterback, I think that's kind of where uh, that's definitely the consensus. But I don't think that Brees Hall has to be a lock to be your 101 at this point. I mean, 
kind of even looking back on it, I know that the comps for Jonathan Taylor were out there, at least from a athletic and like from a prospect standpoint. And the production was certainly there. But I do think that one thing that we didn't think about or didn't emphasize enough during the process is the receiving portion, like to his game. And Brees Hall, I mean, he was a good receiver, don't get me wrong, but he was not the same receiver as Jonathan Taylor. He was not the same receiver as Saquon Barkley when uh, Barkley was at Penn State. I mean, so there was at least there was some lacking, something lacking in his game that uh, was never going to, he was never going to be able to uh, compete or compare with those guys, but yet the comp like still existed. So, I mean, even looking at him from an efficiency standpoint, I mean, Brees Hall, his final season, 1.07 yards per route run. That's uh, over at Pro Football Focus. I mean, JT, over two. Saquon Barkley, 1.95. So it's like he was more of like, uh, I, I heard this from uh, Patrick Corain, uh, more like Ezekiel Elliott from a prospect standpoint. So very good, but just not at the elite level like Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley. So, and I think my problem with, Hall going to the Jets is that for all the warts for Michael Carter, Michael Carter was actually okay as a as a receiver, 1.45 yards per route run as a receiver, so good enough to hold his own. So it's like unless Brees Hall comes in and completely blows him out of the water as a rusher, which is possible, I mean, given his rushing ability, but will he be able to take over the third down role for Michael Carter as well? And that's kind of up in the air. So if he's not even going to get that, should he be the 101 at this point? Because that's what we've expected out of the 101 in years past. That's what we expected for yeah. Zeke. That's what we expected for Saquon Barkley. That's what we expected for Jonathan Taylor. And while Jonathan Taylor still has to deal with Naheem Hines, we've seen what Taylor can do with the ball in his hands. We've seen what Barkley can do with the ball in his hands. So unless we're going to be seeing, I don't know, even like 30 to 40 targets like from Brees Hall like in his, in his, uh, in his rookie season, which is kind of possible, but still with Zach Wilson, that's where kind of – I don't necessarily think he's a lock to be the one-on-one at this point. Okay. All right. Hashtag Merck. Hashtag Merck, I think, for uh, is what we're hearing from Jen and Chris on this situation. Uh, still, yeah, valuable, but uh, not not as exciting as perhaps Najee Harris a year ago or uh, you know some of these other players that knock that come into what we expect to be a three-down role. Uh, let's go to the other guy. Kenneth Walker uh, goes to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, some obvious murk there. Rashad Penny, Chris Carson still hanging around. Uh, Jen, how are you approaching the Seattle backfield in redraft? You Listen, first of all, you know I'm a Chris Carson person, so I'm kind of just bummed about all of this. I, I'm interested to see kind of I mean, we, we're still not even sure if he's coming back. I mean, he had a pretty legit neck injury, so they haven't really – haven't seen much on him. I mean, it's funny. We, we should have known that Pete Carroll was going to take Walker or, or you know, someone in, the, in that vein, and it, it's kind of frustrating. But it's one of those things where you know they're going to establish, right? You know they're going to run the ball regardless of who it is. So I feel like Walker, um, even though, you know, when you first look at it, you think what a crappy landing spot. But at the end of the day – Carroll is going to continue to run regardless of the situation. Penny's not the most durable. That's no secret. So I think that Walker's fine. I I think that he's fine to draft. Uh, Right now he's uh, going as RB30 in the eighth round. So I'm not sure um, how that will change based on spot. But, uh, you know, he has the skills and uh, we know that (laughs) they're going to run. Chris and they um, have a crappy quarter. I mean, their quarterback situation is not ideal. So mm-hmm. that lends itself to there too. 
Yeah. Chris, we know they want to <laughs> run. We know there's other guys there. Uh, are you optimistic about this landing spot for Kenneth Walker, or would you rather see him elsewhere? I would have rather seen him elsewhere. I agree with Jen. I mean, regardless of like how you approach the injury situation for Carson, if he doesn't play, I mean, the I guess the best case scenario for uh, for Walker is the fact that like Penny tested the free agent market right before he wound up coming back to Seattle. And the amount of money that they signed him for really wasn't all that great. So it's could be the case of Seattle was essentially like, oh, OK, well, I mean, we'll bring you back because we don't we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what, what's going to happen with Carson. And they probably didn't have any real designs to drafting Walker. So the, when he kind of falls to him, they just kind of take him. So it could be just a two back tandem with Walker being the one A. Who knows? Yeah. So like, I mean, that's that's your best case scenario for him. But like Jen laid out, it's already we already know what the team situation is going to look like offensively with True Lock under center. So if it's going to be a bad offense, even with the volume, touchdown equity is going to be low. It's just it's not great for Walker either. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. Even though uh, you know, not not exactly Ironman in front of him on the depth chart, but uh, definitely concerning that offensive line. They Charles Cross, I love in the first round, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, Seattle probably should have replaced all five offensive linemen from last if year. If they could, so. yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, let's run through a few other running backs. Those are kind of the main guys. Uh, Jen, I want to start with James Cook landing in Buffalo. Uh, one of your Georgia guys, uh, speedy back pass catching back uh how should we look at cook and uh also how should we look at Devin Singletary now that cook is in Buffalo I like the spot for cook I know a lot of people uh have poo-pooed cook uh, during draft season because he was like a pound or two under what people say you should be for a back whatever I think that's ridiculous (laughs) I think it's a great spot with Josh Allen because he's a good pass catching back um I think that you know it's also a little concerning right I mean in the past Buffalo has not been a team that you want to look heavily in at the running back room. But I think that cook may change that as more of a pass catcher Singletary. I mean, look, obviously I think Moss, we, we can kind of toss him aside. I think Singletary um, has value as well. I'm just interested to see, I don't know how it's going to shake out to be honest. And I don't think that cook is someone that is going to be like, you know, someone possibly not even in redraft, but for right now, you know, his ADP, he's in like, I think 221 as RB, RB 65. So yeah, gimme. I'll, I'll draft him in best ball for sure because I think he's going to surprise a lot of people that have, you know, kind of just, just, yeah, he's too small. He's not going to be a good back in the NFL. And I think that we've seen other guys like Philip Lindsay come in here and crank out, you know, thousand yard seasons uh, at being small. So I think Cook uh, has the, you know, has the talent and I think he landed in a good spot. And if he can rack up targets, that's always a positive thing yeah. as well. Uh, Chris, if you have something to say about Cook, that's fine also. But I want to hear your take a lot about Isaiah Spiller because I know you and I have had conversations a lot about trying to figure out which Los Angeles Chargers back we want to try and invest in mm-hmm. aside from Austin Eckler. And I feel like I'm always wrong. Uh, is this, is Isaiah Spiller finally the compliment to uh, Austin Eckler that we can get excited about? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, just my only bullet point on James Cook is that I mean, the Bills, they've been in on trying to find that function at running back throughout the offseason. Remember, they were in on J.D. McKissick all the way essentially yeah. up to, you know, the, the 12th hour before he wound up going back to Washington. So it kind of makes sense that that's the type of that's the archetype of back that they would look for. Right? He was more of a uh, like his pass catching chops. 
uh, had like a 1.5 a dot which is actually like kind of high like for running backs like at the college level because a lot of them take dump offs out of the backfield but uh, i mean in terms of missed tackles force he was like i think like i don't know like 160th like ranked uh so i think size issues get that out of here because all we care about for fantasy is the fact that he could be earning some targets from one of the best quarterbacks in the league so i'm all for that and for spiller absolutely because even Austin Eckler has been saying that he wants a complimentary back alongside him. He acknowledges the fact that with his size and stature, running him into the ground isn't the best thing for not like either himself or the franchise. And so even if he's still playing the 1A, it was it was always great to have a solid 1B when it was like him and Melvin Gordon. I mean, it was great. I mean, they were both still productive fantasy backs. And I think Isaiah Spiller, who was also, I think he was top 12 in terms of missed tackles forced his final year at Texas A&M. He was also, I mean, he caught like over like 30 passes as well. So he can also play in that complimentary role, that slasher role, that Melvin Gordon type of role, that function or that archetype that they had like uh, during their, like uh, Austin Eckler's uh, earlier parts of the, uh, his career. So I do think that from an RB2 perspective, like for the Chargers, he slots into that role perfectly. So forget about, I mean, Justin Jackson, I don't think he's not on the team anymore. He's not on the team anymore. No, Um, he's currently unsigned. Yes. And we don't care about Joshua Kelly. Don't care about Larry Roundtree. Like I would much rather for dynasty purposes, draft Isaiah Spiller when I can. And then in redraft, he'd be one of the few running backs out of this class I would actually want to target in best ball or just redraft like in in general. Nice. I love it. Jen, does this affect Eckler for you at all? Like uh, he's kind of a fringe first rounder. Does that drop him at all for you? Or do you, uh, are you still bullish on him? I still like Eckler. His price is really, really high. I mean, I I am in, I am in a, uh, a best ball mania that, that just dropped this morning and he went forth. So uh, that's, yeah, he fourth. went for it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It went Taylor McCaffrey, Henry Eckler. So to me, that's, that's not going to happen, but I would take him at the back end of the first early second where he was going last year, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, and it's not even really because of Spiller. I mean, I think Spiller, I mean, I think it, I agree with Chris. I think it's a great landing spot for Spiller, but I just don't, um, I don't see Eckler. I, I just wouldn't pay that much for him. Sure. Makes sense. Um, let's hit uh, one more guy I want to talk about real quick, and then I want to hear favorite targets um, uh, from you guys that we haven't talked about. Damian Pierce, Houston, uh, we got the team and the position that we wanted. The draft capital, not so much. It's a day three pick that we get with Damian Pierce, uh, but he lands with the Houston Texans, which is probably uh, one of the more vacant places in the league that we talked about. Rex Burkhead, I think, is still hanging around. They signed Marlon Mack. Uh, Jen, any interest in Damian Pierce? Are you optimistic about it? It's funny that you say Rex Burkhead's hanging around. I mean, Rex Burkhead is RB1, right? Yeah, I mean, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah sure. I, I throw some, some, you know, some darts at Pierce. I don't know about redraft. I just, I don't really trust that. I just don't trust it. You know, we've had several years now of just void in that spot other than whoever ends up, which was Burkhead last year. I think Davis Mills, I think it's going to be a lot of throwing, and I just don't see – I don't know. I mean, I, it may, he may be one of those guys that's a waiver wire darling by week three, and you know. but I think as far as like straight up on draft day, I don't think I'll, I'll take him and redraft. Best ball, sure, because you, know, sure. you, you need those late-round guys, and you never know what's going to happen. Sure. And Chris, uh, Dynasty, Damian Pierce, um, are, are you intrigued by the landing spot enough to, to pull the trigger on him? Absolutely, because I think uh, – 
kind of along the same lines of how everybody thought of Khalil Herbert kind of going into last year. Like nobody knew who he was, but then once David Montgomery went down and then like, uh, you know, Herbert kind of walked into that RB1 role for like you know, a few weeks, it was, oh yeah, who is this guy? You know, oh yeah, I remember hearing about him. And I feel like that could be the way that Pierce is kind of regarded in this class because I could definitely see a case of Rex Burkhead getting injured at some point and Pierce getting thrust into that RB1 role. Now the situation might not be as great considering it's Houston, but still you get the idea of that could definitely be a, a path for him having an RB1 workload for two, three, four weeks out of the year. And those are the types of running backs or like the uh, rookie running backs that you want to try and take a shot on. The guy that could walk into an RB1 workload and hold that workload for a few weeks or so, just so a team can evaluate them, see what uh, comes out of it without having to freak out and try and sign, I don't know, insert veteran running back here, that sort of situation. Sure, sure. I like it. I like it. Um, Lots of other running backs to talk about. Uh, I, I want to hear with Mike Davis being gone, I want to hear uh, Tyler Algier from BYU goes to the Falcons. Uh, day three, I can't remember what round, but late, late round pick for this guy. I don't know anything about this player, but because we have Damian Williams, Cordero Patterson, and nobody else in Atlanta in that backfield, should we should we be registering this guy as someone that we're drafting? At least definitely be on your in-case-of-emergency break glass on the waiver wire. Okay. Because it's the same situation like Houston. Uh-huh. I mean, like, what are the chances that Cordero Patterson at nearly 30 years of age winds up getting hurt at some point, like during the season? And then he, you know, they wind up, get, he winds up getting thrust into an RB1 workload. Pretty decent, huh? So, I mean, it's the same thought process there, too. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. D- Jen, anyone we didn't talk about that you want to bring up? No, I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to to be able to talk about drafting Zamir White as a personal, you know, because I like him a lot. But I hate the what college spot. did he go to? Yeah, <laughs> um, I, listen, I actually like him as a handcuff. I know I'm a total homer, but I also watched every single play that these guys made uh, in, in their college <laughs> career. So have your fun. They are um, a good team. No, I mean it's it's the truth though. Like I'm not. You guys know I'm not a film person. I do not watch film. But as a fan, I watched every single play that, that everyone on the Georgia team, you know, made throughout their their college. For the careers. folks at so, home, every Sunday when they were playing, we would get the same Georgia Bulldog <laughs> gif like posted in Slack. Listen, I don't. I don't, listen. When it comes to NFL, you don't see any kind of homer. I don't ever. I don't ever homer when it comes to the NFL. But when it comes to college football, yes, I absolutely. Um, and I waited like thirty years for that national championship, so I'm not going to shut up until there's another one. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, listen, I, I hate I hate the, the landing spot in Vegas for Zamir White. I was hoping he would land somewhere that he would actually be fantasy relevancy so I could talk about him all season. But uh, you never know what will happen there, but I don't love the spot. Um, as far as other guys, I mean, I, I feel like it. it's just tough. I mean, a lot of these guys landed. I mean, you've got, you know, Davis Price in San Francisco. I mean, that's that's, that's my guy. That's a real baby. That's so, it's so much Merck. But then again. You know, I don't know. I mean, there's always somebody every year that, that emerges from that from that room. But Elijah Mitchell, I, really good. It's really had a hard time staying on the field last year. And Trey mm-hmm. Sermon clearly did not gratiate himself to the coaching staff. I'm just, I'm just saying. I I will probably have Davis Price on every redraft league. Probably really? drafted in the last round. I will probably mm-hmm. draft him very last round. He's going to be my uh, 
my running back handcuff stash guy that I think will probably end up starting three games. I mean, they used a third round pick on him and he was Shane Hallam's guy last week. So that's true. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, that, that's my guy, my guy, Tyrion Davis price for San Francisco. Chris, anyone we didn't talk about you want to mention? Uh, Rashad White landing with the Bucks, I uh, think should be something on our, on our radars uh, because I mean, Leonard Fournette, like while we love the fact that he not only is like he became like their RB1, like from a rushing perspective, but he also took on, I mean, the targets as well. I mean, like 11, 12 percent uh, plus like target share over the back end of the season, especially with Giovanni Bernard getting hurt, Keyshawn Vaughn, like being a zero in the passing game. So if I mean, they bring like uh, the Bucks brought back Gio, but they draft Rashad Wright. I mean, he had 48 targets his final year at Arizona State. So it's there's entirely a possibility where they want to work him in like throughout the season, see if he can fill that role. I mean, if Gio can't stay up or like stay healthy, I, he could be like the RB two, like behind Leonard Fournette in that same spot where we were all excited to draft like uh, Gio last year. So he's a guy on my radar for sure. Definitely seems like a um, pass catching opportunity there. Definitely seems like that's there. Interesting. Okay, let's uh, let's shift to receivers. We're already running long, and uh, so we will do the best we can to cover as many of these uh, impact receivers as possible. Uh, let's just start at the. I, I want to start. We talked about the Jets' offense a little bit already. Uh, I love Garrett Wilson as a prospect. He was uh, my favorite healthy receiver in this draft. Jamison Williams probably my favorite receiver in this draft. Uh, Garrett Wilson ends up with the Jets. Uh, Jen. You mentioned some doubt about the Jets offense earlier. That is the hang up here. Uh, how concerned are you about him uh, based on what we don't know about that offense? I mean, it, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to to want to invest in that offense um, just based on what we saw last year. I mean, Zach Wilson, listen, all these guys are allowed to you know struggle in their first season, you know, get th- you know thrown into the NFL, thrown at the pro level. I mean, you know, he looks like he's 12. He, he's a young guy. So he possibly, you know, I, he's allowed to struggle. Um, if he makes that leap, that's fantastic. And that'll be great for all the guys there. But, you know, it's tough. There's a lot of weapons in there. They're all, and they're all young. I mean, you have Elijah Moore, you have Corey Davis. Now you have Garrett Wilson. Um, and they also have a, I don't know. Do, they, they drafted a tight end as well, but I don't know. Do they still have Griffin? I don't even know who their tight end is. They brought in Zoma, yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, you're right. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think Garrett Wilson, I'm not sure exactly what his ADP is at the moment, but he's, he's definitely draftable, but I don't know if we can count on him to be uh, a starting wide receiver, at least right away. He may come on late in the season, depending on what happens. Makes sense. Makes sense. Chris, uh, does this impact your Elijah Moore interest? Not particularly just because if I, if I'm thinking about, or I'm trying to project how they'll deploy them on the field, you put, uh, you put Garrett as your, as your X receiver. That's like, that is the type of role that he can play your prototypical X receiver. Uh, You put Elijah Moore at the Z throw Corey Davis in at the slot that could work. So, and I think with the versatility that Elijah Moore showed thing, either playing either Z or slot, I mean, he could essentially still like do what he was supposed to do last year, but now actually have the top cover of a like actual, like legitimate receiver on the outside to pull away some defensive attention. So, I mean, that's the bull case right there for for Elijah Moore. But also at the same time, if you do have an efficient receiver, so let's say, almost like the uh, the case for Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. You've got Amari Cooper slashing throughout the middle of the field. 
opens up some deep shots for a guy like Michael Gallup. And it could be the same way for Garrett Wilson in his year. But those guys are tied to Zach Wilson, whereas Amari and Michael Gallup are tied to Dak Prescott. So yeah. but you get the idea from a tactical <laughs> standpoint how it could work out for, for Garrett Wilson in year one. Sure. Let's stick with you uh, dynasty-wise. I want to talk about the two Alabama receivers, and they're both hurt. Uh, it's possible that they make it for the season based on early, very optimistic reports, but mm. I don't think we're counting on that from a redraft perspective right now. Uh, so I just want to hear real quick, Jameson Williams in Detroit, and then uh, John Mechie ends up in Houston. Those two guys, good opportunities with a need. Uh, how are you approaching them in dynasty based on uh, the fact that they may miss a significant chunk of their first year? Well, Jamison was still in the top tier for most folks, including myself, like in the top five or so that everybody had going into it. So it doesn't change anything for me. I, it definitely gives him that runway to kind of come along as he needs to, because it's not like the Lions are going anywhere from a playoff perspective. And they also have the talent currently in front of them that if they need to field a, let's say, a legitimate NFL offense, they can do that. I mean, whether it's Chark, whether it's Cephas, it's uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, Hawkins. I mean, they have enough guys there. So it's not like Dan Campbell's going to be running over to Jamison Williams like by week two, like, hey, you ready? Hey, you ready? You know, you. So that's not <laughs> going to happen. So I think if we can get him like in week nine, 10, 11 at full strength and being able to integrate into that offense, we'll at least have the back half of the season to see where he's at in terms of bringing along his talent from the college level to the pro level. And then the same thing for Mechie. Like we know that he can be that field stretcher. We just need to see if, he's still has that speed if he like and houston's in the same spot they're not going anywhere in the afc yep. south <laughs> they still really need to figure out if davis mills is their guy like i think they should wind up hanging on to him and making and making the best of like his contract situation as of right now i like that they looked at this draft and they said we're good <laughs> yeah i know like doesn't that kind of say something about the rest of the quarterbacks it does like, bit, like yeah. even houston was like no i think we're good with davis mills we're not going to do this. Like, we're not going to go for Carson Strong or Corral or how, like, no, we're not going to do that. We'll just stick with Davis Mills. And so I think that's kind of like the, the selling point, like for the fact that they wound up drafting him last year. But also, I mean, they still have, I mean, the Texans also have a legitimate NFL offense. Nico Collins in his sophomore year, they re-signed yeah. Brandon Cooks, Jordan Akins at tight end, and all of the, I mean, Rex Burkhead or whomever out of the backfield also has pass catchers as well. They can let Mechie, like recover on his own timeline, get out at some point during the season, hopefully in the earlier part. But if they have to put him on the pup for the first six weeks, that is also still like a, a viable possibility and then evaluate him for the rest of the year. So while Mechie has the lower capital and like for most folks, including myself, it'll, it'll probably be in like, let's say the mid second ish round, mid to late second in terms of rookie draft picks, he would still be a guy to target because I mean, Nick Saban was raving about him yep. like coming out of college. Talented kid. Very talented. So I think if Davis Mills is still the same guy that we saw last year, which was a good rookie, then yes, I think that John Mechie should be another guy to be targeting in the mid to late second. Makes sense. Uh, I think Jordan Akins is gone, but Brevin Jordan looks like uh, looks That's like quite who a player I meant to there. Say. Yeah, well. not Akins. Thank you, uh, Jen. Um, my favorite Akins, um, Jen. Speaking of Akins, <laughs> well done. Let's talk about uh, the two receivers that I think most expect to have the most immediate role and the most immediate high target share: Drake London in Atlanta 
and uh, Traylon Burks with Tennessee. Uh, obviously, huge, huge hole to fill with A.J. Brown. Robert Woods is coming off an injury. I think most people expect Traylon Burks to come in into that A.J. Brown role immediately. Uh, what do you think of those two players as you approach them redraft? And then uh, kind of a follow-up on Drake London. I'm curious what, how you think it affects Kyle Pitts and Cordell Patterson, the other targets there. I like I like Drake London. As I said earlier, I feel like that offense is going to be more pass heavy, uh, regardless of, of who ends up being the quarterback. And I think that uh, I, I like Drake London. I mean, I don't think he's going to be you know a wide receiver one or even a two, but I think as a wide receiver three, I think he's going to uh, you know he should have he definitely will have the the volume or at least the opportunity for the volume. Um, and I think Pitts will be fine. I mean, I, I don't think that, that it affects him too much. I think that Pitts was kind of – before they drafted London, I think it was like, can Pitts even handle the, the amount of work that's going to come his way? So I feel like now it will be more of a more manageable so he could possibly stay healthy and whatnot. Um, and then as far as Burks, I mean, I feel like he's basically A.J. Brown, right? I mean, he's just sliding right in. It's the same role. Um, I worry about Tannehill a little bit. I don't, I don't love him. Um, he's – He's super spotty, as we know, and uh, I don't know if we can really count on him. Um, I will say the one guy that you did not mention that I kind of like for redraft is uh, Chris Olave in New Orleans. I uh, I feel like he's in a really good spot there. I feel like Jameis kind of, you know, obviously Michael Thomas is the man, right? But Jameis doesn't really excel in that Michael Thomas land, you know, in the slant intermediate land. And I feel like Winston is kind of better with the deep ball. And I feel like Olave may be that guy for him. I feel like New Orleans has kind of been looking for that wide receiver too for a, gazil- a gazillion years. Mm-hmm. Maybe they got him. I think Kamara possibly could see some suspension. Maybe not. So those targets might go to Olave. So I kind of like him for redraft. I think people are kind of sleeping on him there. And I think he might be someone that we can uh, get for cheap and might actually pan out. Nice, nice. I, I I like Chris Olave there. It's very interesting. He could juke you out of your socks, so it's always fun to watch him play. Uh, another first rounder there, Chris Jahan Dotson. Similar uh, stylistically, I think, to Chris Olave. He's a little leaner, a little longer, but uh, still a speed, a deep threat guy. A player uh, goes to the Washington football, t- the Washington football, the Commanders yeah. goes yeah. to the Commanders. Uh, you know, we'll we'll play opposite Terry McLaurin. What do you think of him? Uh, from a dynasty perspective, he seems to be the guy left out in all the drafts, the rookie drafts I'm doing it, the guy that lasts a little longer than the rest of the first rounders. Where are you looking at him? Uh, About that range, like back end of the first round, early second, because I've seen in a couple mocks him going around the 110, like 111, which I think is somewhat defensible, just given the number of wide receivers that mostly go from essentially like the 104 to like the, I don't know, the early parts of the second round. Uh, but either way, like Dotson, I think is fine. I would have preferred them take a guy like Chris Olave just to play alongside Terry McLaurin, like regardless of like the Ohio State connection. Uh, but still, I think it would have been just a better fit like for the team. Like Dotson is fine, but I just with the way that Terry McLaurin plays, like with those intermediate, and he also plays in the uh, in the deep areas of the field as well. Like we were like we were seeing like so a lot of those deep targets like going his way last year, and Carson Wentz can do that. But we were also expecting, at least the hope is that Ron Rivera tries to like, you know, calm him down, like maybe make things a little bit more conservative and Terry McLaurin can operate in that area as well. And, but Dotson, that's not really like, that's not as much a part of his game as you would expect. Like he's more of the clear out guy using that speed and that length in order to create separation. 
Are we really going to ask Carson Wentz to do a lot of that, especially after the year he had in Indianapolis last year? So that's where I see a lot of the moves that they made over the offseason, minus that draft pick, favoring the pass catchers like Curtis Samuel. I mean, that works for him, doesn't necessarily work for Dotson. And for a guy like Olave, who we know can be shifty and like uh, regardless of if you deploy him on screens or whatever, I think that would have been a better fit for a guy like Carson Wentz. So like Dotson is fine. It's just not the best landing spot for a skill set, to be quite honest. Makes sense. Makes sense. Let's talk about an excellent landing spot for receiver, Chris. Uh, you know, the Green Bay Packers finally spent uh, some good draft capital on a receiver. They brought in the uh, Christian Watson, who is, uh, I'll call him a projection pick, right? He's, uh, mm -hmm. the production wasn't there in college and you can, you can point to lots of reasons why that may be, but the production wasn't there uh, at North Dakota. In Instead, you come in and he's just fast and big and looks the part what do you think of him as a prospect and his ability in green bay uh given the fact that aaron Rodgers not known to favor rookies and known to to take a little while to develop chemistry how are you approaching watkins uh, no watkins? i think yeah, i think that's the, the the right pick because from a athletic standpoint size speed standpoint like he checks all of green bay's boxes like if you look at the guys that they've picked up over the last like few years, like he definitely like like Green Bay has a type. I know that everybody had kind of expected guys like Sky Moore possibly going to him just because like we like those receivers, but they're too small. Like they just they don't fit what Green Bay likes to do in the draft. And from like seeing all the reports saying like Aaron Rodgers was aware of how they were going to be approaching the draft, like they were essentially looking at the first five or six. And if they weren't going to be there, they were going defense in the first round. And that's how that's the way it unfolded. So for for Watson, I guess I'm approaching it with some caution, just given the historical trend of him not being able to catch on with some of those earlier players. But if you look at his production throughout his collegiate uh, for uh, throughout his collegiate uh, career, I mean, you can see the type of chemistry they could have, like not all not all of like the back shoulder fades and whatnot, but that's a possibility for them, like throughout the course of, let's say the back half of the first year or somewhat. But I would instantly slot him ahead of any of the guys that they've already drafted. Amari Rogers, I mean, Equinemius St. Brown, get those guys out of there. And it's, it's definitely Alan Lazard and Robert Tunyon, like when he's healthy, Aaron Jones, of course. But if there's going to be like a wide receiver, a pass catcher four or a fourth or fifth option is the, in that um, in that offense, it would be him for sure. Interesting, interesting. And uh, you mentioned Sky Moore. Uh, he landed in a great spot in Kansas City. Jen, uh, you know, we know that there's some targets to go around. We don't know who's going to get them, if it's going to be Juju Smith-Schuster, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, or McCole Hardman. But here they enter Sky Moore with a second-round pick. Uh, what do you think of Moore's value in redraft formats in Kansas City? It's tough for me to invest in a Kansas City receivers. Like they, it, it's interesting. Like they should be someone that you want to, but you know, historically, it's kind of been you know Hill and Kelsey, and then other, which is a rotating other. With Hill gone, I mean, I guess it's just tough because Sky Moore was not necessarily a downfield guy in college. Uh, he has the speed to be a downfield guy, so maybe that that's how they will use him, and if that's the case, that's great. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I feel like he's going to be expensive, or, or not expensive, but more expensive than he should be because people want him to be that guy in Kansas City. Uh, they want Patrick Mahomes to have a new guy, that, that a new fast guy to replace Hill. I'm not sure if it, more will be the guy. If, like you said, Juju Hardman is still there. Uh, so, I mean, I'm kind of – I'm mediocre on more. I want to love him more than I do. 
Chris, do you have a different opinion on more? I think it's a uh, I think it's a good fit just if I'm looking at the historical trends like for the Chiefs offense so far because since 2018 Patrick Mahomes his average depth of target and his deep ball rate has steadily decreased over the last like four seasons. I think it went from like 12 and some change actually in 2018 when it was just that high flying like Tyreek Hill, you know, uh, like catching those 60 yard bombs to more like shorter intermediate throws, especially over this past year with us seeing more like too high looks like for the Chiefs. And so with I think Sky Moore, like his a, his a dot like throughout his final season was around like 10.7, if I'm remembering correctly. So that fits into what the Chiefs are trying to do, at least what I think they're trying to do on offense, like really just trying to keep things short, only taking those uh, deeper shots when they necessarily have to. And they've got guys to do that, like MVS, Michael Hardman. They have guys to play that role. But I am seeing more of a concentration on that intermediate, like the 10 to 15 like yardish area, just because those are more efficient targets. And they've got guys that can do that whether it's Juju, whether it's Kelsey, whether it's Sky Moore, or even the running backs if they want to start getting them involved in the game now because they just need guys that can move the chains, keep the possessions, like make the possessions longer, and they can win games that way as well. And now that they've also added some strength on defense, like they actually have like the weapons and personnel to be able to play ball the way that I think that they want to, especially now with, I mean, the Chargers defense like now being a, a juggernaut in their division. The Raiders also doing like the same thing. So it makes sense that this is the type of way they would want to build their offense, make that bet on Patrick Mahomes being able to beat the rest of the division versus saying, yeah, Tyreek, just run really fast in that direction and we'll have Pat like throw the ball to you. I like it. I like it. All right. We are running low on time. I do want to hit a few more, but let's uh, let's do quick hits. So, Jen, uh, quick hit. Alec Pierce, Indianapolis Colts. We talked about him. Uh, quality Cincinnati guy, uh, downfield target, goes to the Colts. Will they throw enough to give him value? It depends on what ha- like what Matt Ryan is going to show up. That's kind of how I feel. Like Matt Ryan, it, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like he's right on the precipice of like his arm falling off or he could, you know, possibly go one more round. <laughs> we just don't know yet. But I feel like there will be the targets because they're pretty, you know, after Michael Pittman, they're pretty slim on – on actual pass catchers. So uh, I feel like it'll be the Jonathan Taylor show. And then Pierce will get things here and there. I think he's a good late best route, best ball target. I, I don't know about redraft. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Uh, Chris, Wandale Robinson goes to the Giants. He's the guy I love. I talked about him last week. He went, ended up going day two. I was excited about that. Versatile threat. Kadarius Tony, there's trade rumors. Uh, what do you think about this giant situation with Wandale Robinson? Uh, so I now have heard the nickname for him, and I'll give credit where it's due. This is Alfredo Brown at Alfredo Brown GM on Twitter. Uh, he calls him uh, Kadarius Robinson uh, <laughs> because it looks like they're trying to essentially replace Kadarius after one year. Because look at the the areas of the field where Wandale wins, and also the fact that he was a great like special teams player as well. I mean that shiftiness. I mean I know that he comes in at like a relatively smaller player, but he uses all of that speed and agility like to his uh, to his strengths. And if that's the way the Jets are moving right now, when we've already been hearing uh, rumors of them trying to actively put Tony on the market, I mean, it just kind of makes sense that we could see a path for him being able to get targets in his rookie season. If it's not going to be targets uh, from Daniel Jones, I mean, at the very least, he should be able to make his bones as a special teams player. And then maybe we'll see more of him in 2023. 
Nice. I like it. I'm, I'm rooting for that kid. I love that kid. Yeah. Uh, Jen, George Pickens lands in Pittsburgh. Uh, crowded, but a place where receivers have thrived in the past. What do you think of George Pickens? Well, you know, as you know, I like George Pickens. Of course. Uh, despite, what school did he go to? Despite, despite the off-field issue. Listen, that guy is a baller. Like, aside from, you know, he, I mean, circus plays for real. Uh, I don't know about this year, though. I feel like the future, the, the whole picket to Pickens thing is going to be a thing. Uh, this year, I don't know. I mean, I think I think his arrival might diminish Claypool's value a little bit. I, 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 but it's it's that offense is tough until we know exactly who's starting a quarterback and what the situation is going to be like. I don't know that I'd draft Pickens in redraft, but I do. I think future wise, I think it's uh, I think he's he's great. I like him. Okay. Uh, Jen, what about Vilas Jones from uh, Chicago? He's uh, goes into a situation where they have an opening there. So uh, do you think he has an opportunity there? Do you think there's any redraft value for Vilas Jones? Probably not. I mean, I don't, I honestly don't know anything about Vilas Jones other than everyone's making fun of him on Twitter. So I don't really know the situation. <laughs> honestly, I, I don't know anything about him other than I feel like, I feel like he's this year's tutu at well for some reason. I don't okay. know. Why, I don't know why, like I haven't investigated it, but I've seen a lot of people making fun of him. I think Chicago is just, it's kind of a mess. They were a mess last year. I don't know that I'm going to be investing too heavily other than Mooney and possibly a little Montgomery if he falls, but that's probably all my, all my bears fantasy. It's weird. Cause year. it's like a great landing spot and not a great landing spot at the same yeah, time. Right. Exactly. So it, it's weird. I feel so bad for Justin Fields. <laughs> I know, I feel right? Really bad. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's, let's go to your state, uh, Ohio, but not your team. Uh, let's talk Browns, David Bell, somebody that a lot of people like uh, got that third round uh, draft capital. That's what we were hoping that he gets some draft capital goes to a team that uh, is, is not solidified at the wide receiver two position. Uh, how are you approaching David Bell, Chris? I'm trying to figure out like what makes the most sense for him from a deployment standpoint, because we saw like with his athletic testing, which wasn't the great, to be quite honest. I remember seeing a plenty of people talking about his poor 40 time, uh, but it's just a wonder if he's going to be essentially like their big slot player. But that does that overlap with where they would want to play Amari at? Because Amari Cooper, now at 28 years of age, does he really have the same giddy up to essentially play the Z and allow so if it could be David Bell in the slot playing for where like uh, Jarvis Landry was at, Amari Cooper at Z, and then you throw DPJ at X. I mean, that could work, but is that good enough or does it actually work to Amari's strengths at this point? So that's really my big question is like, how are they going to move these guys around? Because I think Bell on his own could be a great player, but then also we also have to, have to figure out like, who's going to be under center in week one, which we still don't know about that as well. So just there are plenty of question marks about that entire Browns offense that I can't really say either way. That makes sense to me. Uh, you know, anybody, either of you want to mention that we didn't talk about? No, I can't think of any that uh, that we didn't really hit. I mean, Calvin Austin, I know, was a big one like uh, before the pre-draft process. Decent Cro landing spot as well. Crowded. <laughs> yeah, crowded. Uh, you know, going to have to squint to seem like rookie work. But yeah, not, not bad ca draft capital, at least for where I was projecting. So yeah. Sure. And uh, I just want to remind everybody that uh, New England receivers don't pan out. So Taekwon Thornton, yeah, second round. I know we went second round. Ignore him. That's it. <laughs> I don't have anything else. Uh, we have gone long. Appreciate you hanging with us. Uh, thank you, Chris and Jen. Always a pleasure. Don't forget to, sub to subscribe to this podcast, listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at the Monday Mommy at Chris Allen FFWX and at Two Guys Brandon. Thanks so much for checking us out and have a good day.